Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only two ways to resolve a dispute. You can resolve a dispute through principle, or you can try and resolve a dispute through power. Principle or power. In other words, you can bring arguments and reason to a problem and try and get agreement, or you can just try and crush the other side through power, regardless of the argument, regardless of the reasons. And as you see in our culture today, a lot of people are trying to do the latter. They're trying to cancel people. There's a cancel culture out there. They don't want to have a debate. They want to cancel the debate. Now, from a biblical perspective, God has instituted government to use the sword, this is Paul speaking in Romans 13, to establish and reestablish peace. You see, here's the problem. When people want to break the peace by resorting to power or force, the government has instituted police and the military to reestablish the peace. That's why we have police. That's why we have armies and navies and air forces to reestablish the peace. And God instituted that government, first of all, in Genesis 9, and then also reiterated in Romans 13. The main purpose of government is to protect innocent people from evil. And if you don't have government, you're going to have anarchy. Now, unfortunately, there are many people in our society today, maybe their voice is bigger than their numbers. Hopefully that's the case who seem to think that we can have anarchy and have civilization. We can't. There's a fundamental error in worldviews that suggests human nature is inherently good, that it's not evil. Only Christianity gets human nature right. Uh, James Madison famously said that if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Hence, however, men are not angels. So we need a government to protect innocent people from evil. Now, our friends at the Babylon Bee, I'm sure you've heard of the Babylon Bee, the Christian satire site. They have a they have a, uh, a recent headline from June 22nd. It says this Navy SEALs to be replaced by social workers. And here's the story. The Navy SEALs are being disbanded and replaced with a bunch with the new branch of the military, the United States of social workers. The social workers will be dropped into terrorist hideouts to talk with militants about their feelings and defuse the situation. The move was made as a push against police work and firearms uh, continues across the nation. As people continue to call on police departments to be defunded, the next logical target was the United States Navy SEALs. I, I can tell that you're angry at America. Do you want to talk about that? One social worker was asked after she was dropped off at a terrorist compound in Afghanistan. The terrorist replied by firing his AK-47 into the air. Interesting, she said, scribbling down notes. Tell me about your relationship with your father. No social workers have returned from their deployments yet. But when they do, they will they will fire file a report and schedule a follow up visit in a month or so later. That's the Babylon Bee, ladies and gentlemen. Now, they do a great job of pointing out how ridiculous defund the police is or let's get rid of our military because we need these people to protect innocent people from evil. Now, that's not to say sometimes our, our military, sometimes our police 
overstep their bounds because they're human beings and they're fallen like the rest of us. But without them, we would have anarchy. And I have a special guest today who's going to help us think through some of these things and also draw some parallels to the Christian life from special operations to the Christian life. His name is Jason Sweet. He was in the United States Air Force. He's retired from the United States Air Force. He was a a military special ops uh, person trained in the United States Air Force to be a para rescue jumper. He's a graduate of the University of Arizona. That's where I met him. I was at the University of Arizona and he was helping uh, host me out there at Ratio Christi. He now trains people who want to be in special operations, whether they want to be a PJ or they want to be a SEAL or they want to be an Army Ranger or some kind of special forces. That's what he does through his website and uh, these hell weekends he puts on. His website is SOCOMATHLETE, S-O-C-O-M, athlete.com. And he's my guest today, the great Jason Sweet. Jason, how are you? Frank, what an intro. I'm doing great, man. Humbled to be here. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Well, brother. this is exciting, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk to a special operations person, a person that served in Afghanistan and elsewhere around the country, or around the world, I should say, defending the country. First of all, let's start with your college experience, because you went to the University of Arizona after you were in the military, correct? Yes, sir. And you played on the football team. I did. I, I rode the pines a lot yeah. on the football team, Frank, but, but got to play a little football. That was great. And baseball, too? Yeah, that was before the military, Frank. That's right. kind of the path that I felt that God had me on, and it didn't work out. Um, and then he led me into uh, to special operations afterwards. So you've... You've been in many training environments that were very taxing. And, and you were telling me before we started doing the show that actually some of the, the, the football training was even more taxing than some of the military training. It was. It yeah. was. I, and to parallel between the two, in special operations training, it's more diverse. So you have water confidence exercises where you're going to have your ability to breathe taken away um, for a long period of time, whether it be doing drown proofing exercises or swimming 50 yards underwater or passing a snorkel back and forth with a teammate while an instructor tries to dunk water in the snorkel and tries to drown you and dunk you to the bottom. Something like that is going to be highly technical and highly mental versus something like running a 1.5 mile for a test or a three mile for a test or doing a 12 mile ruck march in the mountains with 50 pounds of gear or doing something like a 500 meter swim, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, something like that. You're actually going to train for it. You can work on something like that. But being a football player, in my opinion, when it comes to speed, speed is generally God-given. Now, you can bring out some of that and you can do the best with your genetics, but right. speed, you either got it or you don't. Yeah. So I'd say that was it was a little more challenging for me to get on the U of A football team, Frank, because mm -hmm. I didn't have nearly as much God given ability mm -hmm. to be a division one football player as I did to be a special operator. Now, let's talk about PJs. You call them PJs for short. What does that really stand for? PJ stands for Pararescue Jumper. There's about 500 of them in the Air Force, and it is one of the Air Force's special operations entities. And I actually did six years. I did not retire. I just did my contract and got out after. Well, I call it retired because <laughs> because it, it means you're not in anymore. I get the idea. You got out, but you you kept doing it. Uh, right. you're, you're you're still training people. But but tell people what a PJ does. What do you so, guys do? 
So PJ, the, I think I remember the mission statement. Uh, PJ's recovered down and injured aircrew members and pilots in austere and non-permissive environments. Um, we also act as uh, door gunners and scanners on fixed and rotary wing aircraft. Uh, we pick up NASA uh, pilot or NASA astronauts on space shuttle missions. We do uh, humanitarian. Um, ocean rescue missions. We do humanitarian missions, whether it be um, rescuing somebody off the side of a cliff or off of a glacier. Um, but our bread and butter is combat search and rescue and personnel recovery. So if somebody like yourself, Frank, back when you were in the Navy and you're doing a mission and you have to eject out of your aircraft behind enemy lines, our job is to jump out of a plane, come after you, not get detected by the enemy, mm -hmm. find you, operate on you and coordinate how we're going to get you out of that enemy territory. Mm -hmm. And typically the rescue aspect of this job is the most demanding part of the job. Medicine is a large part of it. We're all, um, we go through a two and a half year training pipeline. And in that two and a half year training pipeline, you go through a civilian paramedic course, as well as a military uh, medicine course. You go through halo jump school. So you learn how to free fall skydive. You go through army airborne school before that as a precursor. Uh, the first school you go to is combat dive school after you graduate our selection. Um, on paper, our selection is uh, has the highest attrition rate in DOD. We started with 100 guys in my class and we graduated 15 two and a half months later for our selection course. And this is where you're just running every day, practically getting drowned in the pool, carrying around big logs, boats over your head, doing long ruck marches, evaluations every Monday, um, getting hazed by your instructors, sleep deprivation, food deprivation. Um, and if you can make it through that, theoretically, you have what it takes to enter the PJ training pipeline. And we're going to talk a lot more with Jason Sweet right after the break and how this applies to discipleship and Christianity. Uh, you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, dot org. And we have an app, two words in the app store, crossexamined. Make sure you download that. We're back in two minutes with Jason Sweet. Don't go anywhere. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking today with Jason Sweet who has been in the United States Air Force in Special Operations, a PJ. And he trains people who want to be in special ops across the different branches of the military. Go to SOCOMathlete.com. In fact, Jason, you're here in Charlotte right now because this weekend you're running what you call a hell day or a hell weekend down near Fort Bragg. Tell a little bit, a little bit about what you do there. What do you do? <laughs> yeah, so uh, first of all, um, this being a... a, a company that is uh, is ran and founded by Jesus Christ, first and foremost, the hell day, no pun intended, <laughs> um, is, is kind of a takeaway from Navy SEAL hell week uh -huh. in which they spend five days being sleep deprived, getting absolutely crushed out on the Pacific. Um, so it is somewhat of a, a day of Navy SEAL training, but it's not just um, Navy SEAL, PJ training, Green Beret training. It is a team building experience in which we teach young men and now young women are authorized to try out for special operations. Um, we work with them on how to be good leaders, selfless leaders, good communicators, how to take on adversity, um, 
how to deal with some of the stressors that you're going to have in the special operations training pipeline and deal with it now. Get exposed to it now before you start talking to a recruiter so that you know if you have what it takes or you know what you need to work on before you go in. Mm. Um, so that's SOCOM Athlete. We run um, about two events a month in different places in the country. We're a large online community. Um, so young women and men that want to train for special operations can apply to be a part of our group chats. We've got about 1,500 members across the country, um, and we will travel to these locations and work with these students who are civilians, some of them active duty, before they actually enlist to get them ready. Now, without revealing anything confidential, obviously, what kind of missions did you have in Afghanistan? Right. Um, so to rewind a little bit, Frank, mm -hmm. um, I actually didn't know about what a PJ was. Mm -hmm. My dad was a PJ mm. and he was a PJ in the late 80s and the early 90s stationed at Eglin Air Force Base. And after my unsuccessful college baseball career, um, and I can tell this story later, but um, God led me into pararescue and I would have never known about it unless it was my father. And my dad actually ended up re-enlisting during the 2008 recession. Okay. It crushed my family mm -hmm. and he ended up re-enlisting and the Air Force allowed him to be placed on the same team as me at the same time. And we became the first two special operators in the history of the country, father, son, same team, same time. Wow, that's amazing. So in 2012, we got tasked with a deployment to Helmand Province, Afghanistan. Uh -huh. um, and that's where about 90% of the entire world's opium supply is. So the fighting is very heavy down there. And you have Camp Leatherneck, about 10,000 Marines. So I got to deploy. By AFI, um, Air Force rules, my father and I could not deploy together. We couldn't jump out of planes together. We could do shooting courses together. We could scuba dive. We could do um, high angle, low angle, ropes, mountaineering, mm -hmm. medicine, but we could not fly in military aircraft together. We could not conduct missions together or deploy. So I went out there to Helmand Province, Afghanistan. Um, one deployment, my one and only deployment, and it's very humbling when you look at guys that have been SEALs or PJs or Green Berets for 10, 15, 20 years. They've been over there seven, eight times. You know, they spent years yeah. of their life in the war zone. Mm. So it's very humbling. So shout out to you guys. Shout out to my brothers um, who have just spent way too much time over there. Um, God bless you. And, and you know, we owe you guys everything for this freedom here. Um, so I went over there to Southern Afghanistan and my tasking was um, to be a quick reaction force slash Kazivak platform. And the name of our team was called the Guardian Angel Tactical Response Team. Mm -hmm. So if it was the worst day of a team's life, pilot gets shot down, IED blows up a vehicle, British recon team gets pinned down by a sniper, one of them gets hit, um, British special forces in the zone, um, they get into troops in contact, which is a tick, troops in contact, a couple of them get injured, there's no um, aircraft asset nearby them, they don't have anywhere to take this, this patient and they're going to die. In a situation like that, we would have to come in. Mm -hmm. So when we launched on a mission, it was the worst day of somebody's life. And we started this Bible study over there. And I would get on alert at 1 a.m. So I would start at 1 a.m. and we'd end at 1 p.m. So 01 to 1300. Taliban doesn't come out and fight at nighttime. They don't have the equipment that we have. They don't have infrared, night vision, etc. So they fight during the day. So typically when you come on shift, you're not getting any missions until it's light outside. 
So I'll never forget my first mission. Um, it was pitch black. It was at 1.30 a.m. And we had just done what's called a changeover. And that's where you get all of your gear onto the aircraft and the team before you takes all their gear off. So we were attached to these HH-60 Pavehawk helicopters. Mm -hmm. And each one of these helicopters has either two 50 caliber machine guns on it with party packs. So that's a splash round, tracer round, burst round, or two mini guns. That's 308 caliber. We got uh, typically an enhanced battle rifle on there. We're carrying um, M4A1 assault rifles. I had an M203 grenade launcher on my rifle. Um, so we were heavily armed platform. And we would keep our weapons and all of our medical gear and tactical gear on the helo. And then we kept our scuba gear, parachuting gear, mountain climbing gear, all of that in this connex. And so if we needed to take it, we would run it over to the helicopter. Mm -hmm. So on this particular mission, we were doing changeovers. So the other team's moving all their gear out, and we have a mini hospital set up in the back of this helicopter. So they're kind of taking some of their IV bags out, and we got blood, pack whole red blood cells and inflow tubing. We got antibiotics back there, uh, pain management kits, you name it. So there's a lot of checklists that have to be done and rehearsals that have to be done in between changeover. Well, we got hit with the mission when we least expected it. And I'll never forget that it was only a 15-minute flight time to get down there. It was mm -hmm. pitch black, and it was in this poppy field. And right when we roll up, there's all these bearded guys. And you could tell that some of them were Americans, but some of them were Afghani. And it ended up being a partnered special forces team in ODA, Operational Detachment Alpha. These are Green Berets. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they had hit a improvised explosive device while uh -huh. on patrol, and it had blown off. Um, this one Afghani's arms and his legs, and it blew off this other Afghani's arms. And then we had another Afghani that just his legs were blown off. So we had three Afghani's partner forces, okay, Afghan commandos thrown on our helicopter, pitch black, 15 minute transport time. All of them are screaming. There's blood and, and mucus and fluids everywhere. And I could not get any type of organization from the chaos. And it was the first time in my life, first mission, by the way, that I couldn't really think or operate well. And I had to slow down and take some deep breaths and tell myself, you got this, get with it. You've been trained to do this. You've mm -hmm. worked on this over and over mm -hmm. and over again. So get with it and do the mission. By the time we ended up getting back um, to Camp Bastion, which is where the closest level one trauma center is. So that means that you have a, a team that can do major surgeries, ca cardiothoracic surgeries, et cetera. By the time we got there, I had just tried to get an IV established on this guy and he kept ripping it out of his arm. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't give him drugs, couldn't give him blood. And those poor guys probably died. So that was my, my welcome to Afghanistan, landing in a, in a poppy field and, and getting three guys with their limbs blown off onto the bird. Um, my third mission, um, 0427 Alpha, we got dispatched to a British recon team, and um, we, our piece of information called a nine line stated that there was enemy in the area and that these guys were taking fire. We had one patient with a, a suspected gunshot wound, okay? And for our listeners out there, if you guys kind of know the 911 system, you'll see people that don't have health insurance, they'll abuse the 911 system by calling 911, faking an injury so that they can get a ride to the hospital. Mm -hmm. It's a free ride. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then they're able to work that system. Well, in Afghanistan, the Brits had learned the PJ's casualty evacuation platform system and how the guardian angel tactical response team worked. So what they did is they told us it was a gunshot wound to the right shoulder and that there was mild enemy in the area. It, it, it had been over two hours since they had any contact. Okay. 
So as we're going out there, we start getting updates that his situation is more severe. Mm -hmm. So it goes from an update from a shoulder wound to a sucking chest wound, which means he's been hit in his thoracic cavity and that decompressed space now has air in it and it's pinning his lung down. Okay. So that's what we're getting into. Okay. We land in the zone. Finally, Taliban throws a fake smoke to try to get, lure us into an ambush. So we end up getting an updated call that we're flying into red smoke. So the Brits pop red smoke and they land us right in the middle of this poppy field. I mean, there's opium four or five feet high everywhere mm-hmm. you can see. And typically anytime that we were engaged by the enemy, it was in an opium field. To protect the opium, of course. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we get off the plane, or excuse me, we get off the bird, the helo, and we start sprinting through this field. And immediately we start taking fire from our nine o'clock. And I'll never forget the first time that I heard a bullet whiz by my face and impact this mud wall right behind me. And at the same time, there was this British recon soldier shooting from a wall above me. He was shooting directly at me, but he was shooting above me. Mm -hmm. And that was strange for me because on a shooting range, you never have intersecting fields of fire like that. So we're sprinting through this field and uh, this Marine Cobra, an AH-1 attack helicopter, gets called in on a, on a, a close air support fire mission for us. So the Marine comes in and starts doing a, a gun run, this AH-1, and our lead helicopter. So we fly in with two birds, and I was on trail. Trail is the bird that lands and actually picks them up. So they come in and they do a gun run, and we end up finally getting to this Brit, and he's dead. And he's been dead since the bullet hit him. Mm. So we end up picking this guy up under fire. Um, We get him off the zone. We take him to the hospital. We do CPR on him, give him blood the whole way. And he's been dead the whole time. Mm. So basically the Brits lied to us about the dispatch, told us that they had somebody that was salvageable to get our special unit out there to try to save him. But he was dead the whole time. So that was the uh, the second mission um, that I did. And I know we're probably running out of time. Well, that's okay. So uh, why do you think they wanted you in that field though? If uh, whether- They wanted the guns. Oh, they, they, they needed the guns. Oh, they no, needed the guns. So nobody else is going to help reinforce them. They're in the middle of nowhere. Oh, all right. They call us in. They mm-hmm. get the guns and the medivac. Well, maybe we can give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they thought he was still alive. Who knows? But no. this is the kind of thing that you guys had to deal with on a routine basis, though. You're going into unknown time, territory. Sometimes three times a day. Unknown territory. And one of the things that you guys would do, I know, is you would be so well-trained for so many different kinds of, of contingencies. I mean, I was in the Navy. I wasn't in special forces in the Navy, but you had all sorts of different contingencies, Jason. And when that happened, you just said in your previous, your first mission, you just had to slow down and say, look, I can do this. I, this has happened. I've been trained for this. This has just happened, but I can do this. And that training would allow you to slow down and actually do what you knew you could do. And there's a parallel to this in the Christian life that we're going to talk right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. My guest is Jason Sweet, who actually teaches, not only has he been in special forces himself, but he teaches people who want to be in special forces how they can get ready for it at SOCOMathlete.com. And we're going to apply all this to Christianity right after the break, so don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes with Frank Turek and Jason Sweet. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. I can guarantee you're not going to hear special operations and Christianity on national public radio. My guest today is Jason Sweet, para jumper, former para jumper, uh, para rescue jumper, PJ for the United States Air Force. And he now trains people who want to be in special operations across all the branches of the military. And we were just talking uh, as we were coming into the break uh, just a minute ago, how emergency procedures in the military, you they're drilled into your head. You do them over and over and over again. I had one guy was briefing us once when I was in the Navy. He had to punch out of an F-14 and F-14s are no longer used in the Navy. But he said it was amazing when we had to eject from the F-14. By the time I came to my senses, my parachute was over my head. My raft was already deployed. I had already done the four-line release, and I was just waiting to hit the water. And he said, I didn't think anything about it. It just happened because I went through so much training that when it really happened, I didn't have to think. I may have been in shock, but it didn't matter. I went through it. Now, the same thing is true, I think, when it comes to the Christian life. Emergencies in life can be almost automatic. If you've studied and if you've practiced the scriptures before a disaster happens, you're going to be better able to handle it. Your discipleship training can save you when difficult times come. When should you answer the question, if God, why evil before evil hits you? When should you get a, when's the best time to get a friend before you need one? right? You don't make friends when you're in trouble. You make friends before you get in trouble. And then when trouble comes, they're there. The same thing is true with Jesus, right? You get to know Jesus. You get to know the scriptures. You get to know the Christian life. So when difficulties come, you're ready to deal with it. Now, Jason, you've, you've had your own emergencies, I know. Uh, and we'll get to that here in a minute, but I want to ask you this, because this is really the kind of theme of what we're trying to get at here. And the theme is how does special operations, the training that you got in special operations, how does that translate into discipleship training? What are the parallels here? Yeah, Frank, that's a great question. Uh, I could go on about that, but I know we only have so much time. <laughs> duty is the first. And having a sense of duty and purpose is what led me into special operations in the first place. And once you have that sense of, of duty and that undying commitment to that duty, you're going to get the mission done. Um, next would be, I said it, commitment. Mm -hmm. um, after that would be courage. It takes courage to be able to do a free fall off of a plane at night when you can't see the ground. Um, it takes courage to do a scuba dive at depth at night with zero visibility. When there's sharks around, you have a task to get done. You're dropped out 3,000 meters from the shore. Um, it takes courage. And then lastly, service before self. Mm -hmm. um, Understanding that your own personal desires and comforts come second to the mission. And if the mission is spreading the good news of Jesus, then you're willing to commit to that and have the duty and put in the preparation for it. It's not just, I'm going to tell you about Jesus and I hope you get it this one time because I'm ready for you to receive Jesus now. 
It's I'm committed to this relationship. And even if you're not ready to receive Jesus now, I love you and I care about you and I'm in this for the long run. So that was something that special operations taught me, that longevity, that commitment as well. Um, And, you know, let me say one thing about Paul, because, you know, the Apostle Paul related athletic training to discipleship. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says this is verse 24 and following. He says, do you not know that those who run a race, who, who run in a race, all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. In other words, Paul is saying that he has beaten his body into submission so he could spread the the love of Jesus. And we have to do the same thing. We have to beat our minds and our bodies into submission because we are going for a imperishable crown, not just a crown we might get if we win a race. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. And, you know, just speaking of Paul, you go to Ephesians 6 and, mm-hmm. and 6, 10 through 17, you're talking about the armor of God and being prepared. Well, you have to be equipped before you go on a mission, whether that be as an evangelist or a mm-hmm. disciple, or whether that be as an operator, you have to be equipped. Um, our motto was these things we do that others may live. And so we had to be willing to sacrifice our personal desires and comforts to save somebody's life. Well, much think, think much about like that. Jesus. Yes, these things we do much that like others may Savior. live. Yeah, that's what he did so that we may live. And uh, Paul, as uh, Jason just pointed out, we're talking to Jason Sweet. Uh, he was in the Air Force as a PJ, special operations, and now he trains others in special operations through SOCOMathlete.com. Paul, he says, put on the full armor of God. He's talking about spiritual warfare here. Spiritual warfare is not a power encounter. It's a truth encounter. You have to know the truth. And the way you know the truth is you study the scriptures and you get to know the truth. So when error pops up, you can spot it easily. By the way, do you know how they uh, detect counterfeit bills? The United States Treasury, they don't study counterfeits. They study they study the true bills. They, they They become so familiar with the true bill that they can spot a counterfeit very easily. In fact, my aunt used to work for the Federal Reserve, and she was so good at spotting counterfeits by just studying the original. And so if you study the scriptures, if you know what the truth is, and you in, you internalize that like a military person would internalize an emergency procedure, if you internalize it, you're going to be able to spot error as you just go through life naturally. Yeah. Amen, Frank. And yeah, another verse I wanted to share that uh, was very encouraging to me is, is Hebrews 12. Therefore, mm-hmm. since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm. Um, and Frank, to kind of go back to what you were talking about as far as preparation and emergency mm. procedures. I have one memory in particular where that actually worked out and it actually did not work out for me. So on my 55th jump, okay, this is a halo jump. So you're actually free falling out of the aircraft for about 60 seconds from 13,000 feet, pulling your own parachute at around 3,500 feet and then steering your parachute in. So I was trying to develop more skill 
at Halo jumping and I was spending my weekends while I was in PJ training. So I'm like an E3. Okay. I've been in the military for like a year and a half. I'm just a trainee. I'm nobody yet. Uh, but I have a little bit of money in my pocket that I've been saving up for the weekends. And I have my halo wings, which means you have been trained by the military as a free fall parachutist. So I would go to skydive New Mexico when I was in the PJ training pipeline and I would spend all my money skydiving on the weekends. So I would have to use their own parachutes. Mm -hmm. And I put on a parachute one time that was a little bit too small for me. And I was told that that was some of the factor that played into this. But upon getting into the aircraft, okay, I noticed that the parachute was was sized a little bit strange. Um, I didn't have any slack on my leg straps, but I didn't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. So I jump out. I'm flying through the air. Life is good. I pull my parachute and I have a really hard opening. So the way that you pack your parachute can affect how it opens, how it catches wind. And if you pack it a little bit tighter and you roll the nose a little bit more, it'll have a slower opening so that it doesn't shock you as much because you're falling at about 150 miles an hour at terminal velocity. So when that parachute hits you, you're only going about 20 miles an hour. So you're changing over 100 miles an hour mm. at a rate of a couple seconds. So it's nice to have a soft opening. I had a incredibly hard, quick opening to the point where I heard this loud ping noise. And all of a sudden, my leg straps had come undone on the right side of my parachute. And this is like something that doesn't ever happen. Um, fast forward for a second. The drop zone safety officer said that this was a one in a million malfunction, and he has no idea how it happens. And you had it. And I had it. Yeah. So my leg straps come undone. Okay. And the way you steer an elliptical parachute is you have brake toggles on the left and the right side. And if you put about 25% pressure on that left side, that's enough pressure for you to do a sharp 90 degree turn. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what it's like if you pull all the way down on your brake toggles, how sporty that canopy, that parachute can be. You're going to be in a circle, aren't you? You're going to be in a circle. Yeah, yeah. So, so picture all 200 pounds of my body on the left side of the parachute, mm -hmm. not just steering it all on the left side because my right leg strap had come undone. And Frank, you can see me. I got a pretty big chin right now. I, people have been giving me a hard time my whole life, okay? Uh -huh. Calling me Chin Baca, Osama Chin Laden, Jay Leno. Uh -huh. I mean, you name it, okay? Right. So this big chin of mine, Frank, um, actually saved my life because my belly strap, okay, where my cutaway pillow is and my rip cord, which I'll explain to our listeners what that is in a second, that is typically around your lower chest, right around your upper abdomen area. Okay. So my leg straps had snapped and the entire parachute had the, the belly had come up to my chin. So mm. I was holding on for dear life in this death spiral at 2,500 feet. And at that point I knew I was going to die if I didn't get rid of this parachute or I didn't steer out of it. So I look up for my other brake toggle and I can't reach it because my leg straps that snapped have wrapped around it and pinned it to the risers. So I'm in a death spin. And at that point, I tell myself, you're going to die unless you figure something out. So I was jumping a full face kind of astronaut looking helmet. Um, so I didn't have any peripheral vision or ability to look down to see where this cutaway pillow and this reserve ripcord was. So I had to throw my helmet off, look down, still couldn't find it. And for our listeners out there, the cutaway pillow is how you get rid of a bad parachute. And as soon as you pull that, your reserve 
automatically deploys. But I couldn't use my main parachute because my toggles were pinned down with my leg straps. And so I'm in a death spin. So I need to get rid of this main parachute and cut it away. And I had done a thousand emergency procedures, practice touches, as we call them, where I touched that pillow just by feeling it because you can't see it. Well, the problem is, is my parachute was about three feet higher than it normally was. So the spot that I was normally touching, the cutaway pillow wasn't there. So at that point, everything slowed down. Tunnel vision again, had to figure it out. I pushed my parachute or push the strap down with all my might, end up tearing my rotator cuff, got eyes on the little red pillow, cut it away at 2000 feet, started free falling through the air again. And I got a new parachute. Uh, it took me about 15 seconds to hit the ground, landed on the drop zone, uh, a little crash landing, no harm, no foul. I had a torn rotator cuff and uh, I got right back up and did another jump. So I didn't get consumed by fear. Um, so that was my my life or death experience where everything slowed down and I had to relax or else I would have died. Yeah, well, still, your training came into there, even though the original emergency procedure wasn't going to work because your parachute was tangled up. You knew enough that you had to get to that reserve chute, right? You knew that. And the same thing is true in the Christian life. You know, if your plan doesn't go just 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 right the first time, if a disaster happens, what are you going to do? You're not going to give up, right? You're going to you're going to rely on God and you're going to go to plan B. And uh, that's what you did here. And if it wasn't for your training, you wouldn't be here talking to me right now, would you? And in fact, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what parents ought to be doing with their kids before they go back to school, if they go back to school this, this fall. So don't go anywhere. We're, you're listening. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Back in two. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. My guest today is Jason Sweet, Special Operations in the United States Air Force for six years. Now he's training other people who want to be in special operations. His website is SOCOM Athlete, also has an Instagram page. He does what are called Hell Days across the country. Uh, This weekend he's in Fayetteville, North Carolina, near Fort Bragg doing that. And uh, Jason, uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about... uh, what uh, parents tend to do to their kids when it comes to uh, sending them off to school. Let me ask you this question. You talked about some of your experiences there in Afghanistan. I think you have another one to share with us before we get to that. What would have happened to you if out of high school, the United States Air Force dropped you into the middle of that opium field in Afghanistan with no training and no weapon? What would have happened to you? I would have got smoked. (laughs) Like right away, right? <laughs> no goner, for no sure. training and no weapon. Or, or I might have just <laughs> curled up in the fetal position for a little bit. That's right. Well, this is what we do to our young people. We give them no training, none of the intellectual weapons they need to have to go to college, which is the most hostile place you can go to the Christian faith in the United States are, are, are most of our college campuses. We drop them in there without any real ammunition for why Christianity is true and without any real answers to the main objections that people have against Christianity. And we expect them to maintain their faith. That would be like expecting you to 
accomplish the mission and come out unscathed if they dropped you in the middle of that opium field in Afghanistan with no weapon and no training. It's crazy, Jason, but that's what we're doing, you know, and, and that's one, one reason crossexamine.org exists. We're trying to give people the intellectual firepower they need to have in order to know why Christianity is true and also to winsomely deal with objections when people bring them up. That's why we exist. And as you know, we go to high schools, churches and college campuses and try and do that. Uh, we try and give people evidence. That's why we're here. So the, 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 the parallels between military training and training for discipleship are, are, are very great. And that's kind of what we've been discussing here today. But I want, I want to hear some positive things out of Afghanistan, if we could, Jason. First of all, how did you, 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 you think that God led you into special forces in the Air Force? How did that happen? And then, and then tell me something that really humbled you there in Afghanistan. Yeah, Frank. And and by the way, Frank, yeah, I love you, brother. And you're, you know, you're a hero to me and uh, it's humbling to to be here on your podcast. So, you know, thank you for everything you do for all of us, strengthening our faith. Uh, it's an honor. Well, thanks, brother. Wow. Thanks for helping me with this podcast. And hopefully uh, one other thing before we get into this, you're going to be at CIA in a couple of weeks. Yes, sir. Right? Can't wait. He's coming across Examine in Instructor Dallas. Academy because one day Jason's going to be presenting this material to you because he has some great presentation skills, some great presence and a great love for the Lord. He just needs to get a little bit more on the content side so he can share that with others. That's why he's coming to CIA, but go ahead. And go now ahead. I got a great mentor, Frank. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, bro. Um, yeah, Frank. So everybody knows what a Navy SEAL is, mm -hmm. but nobody knows what a PJ is. And a lot of my students, so our listeners out there, I run these, these weekend events called Hell Days, and there'll be 20 people that show up through the course of the weekend that all want to go into special operations. They're all going to enlist. They're all training for it. And this is like their precursor where I can equip them, point out the discrepancies and whatnot before they enlist. Well, typically, you see most of the guys that want to go into special operations, they want to be Navy SEALs. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the title of a Navy SEAL is elite. It's a, the, the mystique behind the name Navy SEAL is there. We all know it. The movies are there. They got Osama bin Laden. You hear about these guys, but who you don't hear about are the combat controllers, pararescue jumpers, recon Marines, Marine Special Operations Command, Raiders, um, Army Rangers, um, pararescue jumpers, TAC-P. There is a lot of different career fields in special operations. So, Whenever in 2008, whenever the recession hit, um, I, we got absolutely crushed and I was playing baseball in college and everything fell apart for me. And I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'll skip over that story. So I ended up wanting to, to consider being a SEAL. And that's, that's kind of what I felt like my personality type, where, what I would be successful at. But like I said earlier, my dad was a PJ and God actually led me into pararescue. And I know that the reason why he led me into pararescue is because he wanted to teach me humility. If I were to go to a restaurant or let's say I was dating a girl in, in high school or, or right after high school, you know, I enlisted and, and I'm telling her parents what I do for a living. I tell them I'm a Navy SEAL. They're instantly going to say, well, sit down, you know, mm -hmm. come on, come on over. That's so much respect for you, man. You know, you're, you're one of the baddest dudes in the planet, but you go tell them you're a PJ mm -hmm. and that you're in the air force and they're going to say, what? Uh, what, what's that? Only wimps join the air yeah. force or yeah. pilots. Right. And so you're automatically at, you're automatically at a disadvantage. And then mm -hmm. you say, wait, 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 but 
our training is, is harder than the seals on paper. Oh, get out of here. Wait, we, we jump, we dive. Oh, stop. Right. People don't want to hear it. So what I learned is how to be a quiet professional and how to be somebody that was elite and highly trained and at that level, but not seek the recognition. And learning true humility and learning how to be a true quiet professional was the most beneficial thing that has ever happened to me. I don't know the verse right now, but there's a verse in the Bible, um, and I think it's more referring to tithing. And it talks about if you're giving somebody a gift and you seek recognition for it, that's your gift. Like, Mm. that's it, your recognition. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And so this was the first time where I felt like... I didn't need recognition anymore. I was comfortable in my own skin. And it took some time, even being a PJ, you know, I kind of felt like an underdog and under-respected because I was a special operator that people didn't know about, but it was the most valuable lesson I ever learned. So that was, I know why God led me into pararescue was um, to teach me how to to put people before myself Mm -hmm. and to be a true, humble, quiet professional. And Mm -hmm. humility is where you can accomplish something great and you don't feel swollen up with pride about it. Well, you know, I do have a new book coming out, 10 Steps Humility and How I Made It in Seven. Oh, I'll be yeah, buying yeah, it. Which has really humbled me because I actually made it in six. But anyway, <laughs> but okay. So I'm still trying to figure out that math. Right? <laughs> but tell me about, uh, because our listeners hear so much negative right now from uh, the left about the military oh, and right, all this, right. but you did some amazing work in Afghanistan for the good, not just uh, trying to keep the peace, but also right. rescuing some people. Tell me about well, the nine-year-old. The, the U.S. military's primary objective, um, besides fighting and combating terrorism, is to free the oppressed and, and to try mm-hmm. to, to take um, these unestablished third-world governments and try to establish some type of order. By so, the way, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to free the oppressed. Free the oppressed. That's what Jesus does. He frees the oppressed. And that is the Green Beret motto. There you go. Dale but anyway, Presso. keep going. Man, we got just a few minutes. Go. Right, right. So, on our on our tasking in Afghanistan, we're trying to win hearts and minds over there, Frank. Mm-hmm. So we would be willing to rescue anyone, anytime, Afghani or American, British, Jordanian, you name it. So this one mission, there was this nine year old Afghani boy, and he wasn't anyone special, but he got caught in crossfire um, during a gunfight troops in contact, a tick situation. And he got hit by two rounds, seven, six, two by 39 in the abdomen, upper abdomen. And so I'm, I'm at the operations center. Like I told you guys earlier, you get this nine line, nine piece of information. You go sprint out to the helicopter, rack around in your weapon, get all your body armor on, get your medical gear ready, get ready to rock and roll, get your updates. So we're on our way out and uh, we're heading over to a city called Lashkarga. If you guys want to look this up, Helmand Province, you want to Google Lashkarga is the city that we are going to. And we get an update on our way out there that we're going to pick up a nine-year-old civilian boy mm. and that he's got two gunshot wounds and he's in critical care. So part of rescuing people is, is operating on them. You can do all this great stuff to rescue them, but if you can't fix them, then everything's in vain. So we had a whole uh, packed whole red blood cells ready to go. We were warming them up. Um, I just in case maybe he has some thoracic protrusion. Um, I had a chest dart ready to go for needle thoracentesis to decompress his chest cavity. We were all prepped ready for, for this mission. And we get to the kid. We, we pick him up and uh, his dad comes into the helicopter with us. Mm. Okay. So we're sitting here trying to save this boy's life. His dad is there watching everything we do and talk about a lot of pressure, Frank. Yeah. Right. Okay. 
Now, by protocol, if you have gunshot wounds above the belly button, you have to assume that there's thoracic protrusion and that he is potentially getting attention pneumothorax, which could kill somebody in five, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I'll never forget, man, we got these large chest darts. We don't have pediatric chest darts. And I pull this thing out, okay? My boy Mark is, is over here getting the blood ready. Um, Popovic is getting the, uh, the oxygen ready and, and, and warming the young man and getting pain management on board. And I'm over here about ready to dart this guy's chest so I can allow that air to come out of his lungs. The lungs have to be decompressed so they can expand and contract mm-hmm, and ventilate. Mm-hmm. So I stick this needle into this young man's rib cage between the third and fourth, excuse me, second and third intercostal space. And his eyes just jolt open. And uh, all of a sudden, he takes this big breath of air. And I'm looking over at the, the monitor and his O2 saturation. So his oxygen saturation had gone all the way down to the 80s, which wow. means that yeah. you know, if it goes down to a certain level, he'll have brain damage yeah, for yeah. lack of oxygenation. Yeah. So this is serious. Right as I put that dart in, his oxygen saturation started increasing, increasing, increasing. And at that point, I, I, I had felt that I'd saved the boy's life mm-hmm. with that medical intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always a team effort, by the way. You never save somebody's life by yourself. Typically, yeah, I won't say never, but it's rarely. true in Christianity, true. True team effort, yeah. right? So we finally get this boy um, to the hospital, to the rule one hospital. The Afghanis say, no, we don't want you to take him to an American hospital. This is our guy. We can take care of him ourselves. Take him to Lashkargah Hospital. So we take him to Lashkargah Hospital. We drop him off, okay? Blood, chest dart, everything's there. It's just a huge cluster. And we drop him off, and then we go back home. We're getting all of our stuff down. Well, you know, about to start a movie, relax a little bit, maybe hit the gym. Boom, nine line drops get out on the helicopter. We're back out. We get the update. It's the same nine-year-old boy from Lashkarga. So we end up picking this boy up. They screwed up his medical treatment and we have to take him to our base. Okay. Um, We end up doing some more medical treatments on him. I give him ketamine to snow him out, knock him out. We get him to the hospital. Um, Turns out that the doctor had to take out his spleen, but the boy lived. And I ended up wow. not being the one that saved his life. The whole pack red blood cells actually saved his life for the blood transfusion. Hey, but brother, we're out of lives. time, but that's a wonderful story. Thanks for all your service to our country My and pleasure, to brother. the young man and others. Jason Sweet, ladies and gentlemen, SOCOMathlete.com. There's so many parallels between what the military does and what Christians do in terms of saving lives. Listen to this podcast again. We'll be back next time. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.